Hey everybody, welcome back to Jetlag. This is Andrew Smith and I'm joined by Larry Heath and this is episode three of season two. And today we're gonna continue to talk about the pandemic because it's dominating our year. But what we're specifically talking about is that people in different countries are going through different experiences regarding this. Now, let me back up. To, as of today, we are at 7,193,988 cases. So that's a lot. We've crossed the 7 million mark. And there have been 408,000 deaths. And uh, there's been 3.5 million recoveries, so over half, which is great. But we're not out of the woods yet. Um, so the first reported case was back in Wuhan, China, like everybody knows. That was all the way back in December. So at this point, December feels like an eternity ago or uh, like a Dragon Ball Z version of time in a hyperbolic time chamber where a day is actually a year. But believe it or not, that was just over six months ago. And while it spread, it went rapidly through China and Japan and South Korea. And eventually it went through Iran. Um, but what happened is that because those countries are very far away to the westernized world, not everybody reacted. Uh, I think a lot of people thought it was like SARS or Ebola or something where it was going to be something we heard about but not actually show up. Um, but fast forward and just like usual, the USA is still number one. But this case, they're winning the wrong contest and they have the most cases by far. Uh, in fact, there's over 2 million of the world's 7.1 million cases are here in the US where I currently am. And it still remains the highest new active daily count as of today. Now what's crazy is that Brazil is currently number two and nobody was even talking about them as of three months ago. So we're in a situation that's just evolving like crazy. And um, you know, the, the US didn't even declare this a national emergency until mid-March. So this was starting to go around late December, early January, and all, we could see a lot of the signs, but there wasn't really a good reaction. Um, depending on where you live, some people would love to debate if places overreacted or underreacted, but that's where we're at. Now, in contrast, because I'm, you know, I'm talking a lot about the U.S., uh, you know, you have countries like Sweden who did kind of a weird thing, and they said, hey, use your own judgment and stay home if you should. And it's arguable whether this is working or not. They, they don't have as many cases as people thought, but they still have a really high death rate. Remains to be seen. But then you have places like New Zealand, who just this week declared zero active cases. So they're done. While we're maybe halfway through, they're actually finished. And similarly, Australia uh, instated a 14-day quarantine to all travelers who are going to enter. And we want to talk about what that's actually like. Because we've heard about it, but not many of us have actually gone through it. So today we are joined by a guest who is currently almost finished with a 14-day quarantine, but not quite yet. So, Larry, why don't you introduce our guest? Yes, yeah, so uh, today we're joined by radio presenter Nick Shields, who has returned to Australia from uh, a year at, in the UAE uh, in quite impeccable timing, uh, has gotten himself uh, 14 days of taxpayer paid vacation <laughs> in a locked into a hotel <laughs> it's yes cheers cheers to you sir 
Cheers to you. No, no alcohol here, unfortunately, but uh, I'll cheers you with my coffee. That's okay. I'm actually drinking like grapefruit juice, so you know, <laughs> it just looks cooler than it is. Um, so let's back up real quick. Um, how did this happen? And explain briefly why you're in the situation you're in right now. Um, well, for me, uh, I was living in the UAE and I'd been there for about a year or so. And um, it was just fortunate that the end of my contract's coming up and, and all that. So I could definitely stay, but the uh, COVID situation there was not really improving as such. There was like lots of cases, 800 odd cases a day. Um, there was a national lockdown, so we couldn't really go out. Life was very much impeded. So I made the decision, I'm going to go back to Australia where there's in my home state, zero cases. And there had been for about nine days at that time. Um, it just made better financial decision as well because we were under massive pay cuts and all that sort mm. of stuff. So I said to my boss, look, mental health wise and possibly physical health wise, it's not best to stay here for me. Um, so I want to go home. And that's kind of how that came about. Two weeks later, my company was really awesome. They're like, look, you need to get on a flight because um, the, repa the repatriation flights are, are slowing down. We don't know whether you're going to actually be able to leave or any mm. of those sort of things. So you've got, um, however, if you need to leave tomorrow, leave tomorrow. If you can leave in a couple of weeks, leave in a couple of weeks. So I got on a flight and uh, yeah, now I'm here in the hotel. It's my 11th day now. So um, yeah, that's kind of how that happened. And it was a bit of a whirlwind of experiences. Tell me a little bit about the flight. So you get on this flight back to Australia. Who were you flying with firstly? Okay. So initially I uh, went to fly with Etihad um, because I'd heard they had really great um, this sounds so bizarre to say, but they had really great COVID service <laughs> as in they had like, you know, good baggage. Um, Cause obviously you're, uh, you're moving uh, all your life with you. Um, and they had full meals and full entertainment on the flight. And they were also actually the only airline out of the UAE at the time. Um, a few days before my flight, they canceled the, they canceled it, um, which was scary and devastating. Cause I was like, Oh my God, had, uh, all my plans of, on this date um luckily emirates had opened up some flights as mm. well so i got on an emirates flight full service good baggage all that sort of stuff um the process was was actually not so different to flying normally i was really fortunate in the sense that all of the um protocols and everything had been ironed out but it was an eerie experience to leave my house i left my house during uh, our national curfew at the time so got in the car and we drove to the airport and there was nobody on the roads apart from, you know, essential staff like trucks and vans and things like that. And hardly anybody else. We thought we were going to get arrested for breaking the curfew <laughs> and which is, you know, scary on your way out. You're trying to leave. You don't want to, you know, it's not get necessarily the place you want to get arrested either. No, 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 yeah. no, definitely not. And especially as you, you, oh, <laughs> that's for another podcast. It was one in and, the past. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god! Um, so we got to the uh, we got to the airport, and usually when you get to Dubai Airport, if you've ever been there before, it's crazy. Especially um, the Terminal Three, the the Emirates Terminal. There's so many cars and people and noise and horns and everything. It's 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 just mad. Um, so we got there, and there was absolutely no one, That's no one so at weird. all. That's so weird. Not a single soul in sight. Not even a police officer. Nothing. Wow. So I got out, put all my um, uh, stuff onto a trolley, which I was all already worried about. I had to like disinfect the trolley and everything because I was like, oh my God, I'm not, <laughs> I don't want to bring anything with me on the plane. 
Um, so I got that. I got there um, way too early. I got there about three and a half hours early. Mm -hmm. Their advice was get there three hours early. So I had to just sit down um, way off in the corner and uh, wait. And I thought, oh, okay, you know, the airport's going to get packed soon, all that sort of stuff. No, there was literally 15, 18 of us um, in the airport. So once they opened it up, we went through a couple of thermal scanners. You do that twice. Um, you go through a little bit of a mini interrogation as into like, where are you flying to? Are you a resident? Are you a citizen? All that sort of stuff. Um, and then you just check in like normal. That's, there was really no difference. There was just a lot of waiting and a lot of spacing out. Security guards, a couple of security guards had like full PPE on, um, but most oh, wow. people just had uh, their masks on and, and that was it. The only thing that was kind of a bit um, unnerving, not so much for me, but for fellow passengers, uh, like the Kiwis, the New Zealanders who were on the flight, um, because they needed to get government approval, the Australian government approval to get on the plane, um, they all had to wait like a really long time while the uh, crew checked them in. Mm. And yeah, that was that was kind of it. It was really, a, everything else was exactly the same as flying until you get on the plane. Um, Getting on the plane, there was only 18 of us on the flight, three in business. I don't know why we all couldn't sit in business. There was enough. There's enough space. <laughs> you, well, you said, you said we. That means you got it? <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> but I got to sit. I got, I got a, like four rows to myself. So I don't know who the real winner is here. Um, you know, I got to have a nice, a nice sleep. I basically slept about, um, it was a 13-hour flight, 13 and a half hour flight to Melbourne. And I slept probably 12 of those. Full service, um, all food, all entertainment, everything. Uh, booze is normal. No oh. alcohol. Yeah, yeah. That was the only. That was the only downside. But I was asleep the whole time, anyways. When you get to Australia, though, that's a different story. So you know when you watch um, movies, like end of days movies, and it's all like dystopian, and there's those announcements <laughs> that come over, and they they say, you know, like please do not move. It was like that, but it's. Most people, they would see that in like, um, you know, in American movies and Australia is, it's not really known for its dystopian nature. And, you know, everything here is really not that serious ever. Um, so this was a bit scary because you get on and there's um, like three or four different voices. There's health officials and they're, they're saying, you know, do not get out of your seat. Otherwise you'll be um, chased down by the federal police. And then a federal police Where, officer comes on and tells what? you. You're sitting on the plane at this point? Yeah. So, okay. So, sorry, I'll back up a bit. Plane lands, right? So, you know, you, plane lands, gets into, its ga uh, gets into its gate and holds there for a minute. Usually everybody just like jumps up and grabs their baggage and starts to queue up, right? Yeah, because everyone's an idiot. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but this was the best flight ever because oh. the um, the flight attendant got on and was all the the um, the head of the flight gets on and she says, "Do not get up from your seat. You can only get up when the Australian health official tells you that you can get out of your seat." I was like, "Oh my god! So can't they have this on every flight?" Yeah, <laughs> right, I know. Oh. So, um, so we all just sat there and we waited for a while and they got all the families off and the people who were, um, traveling to, to New Zealand. Um, and they all got off first and it was really quick. Everything was, was smooth, but it was scary. Well, not scary, but it was unnerving because, you know, this health official gets on and she's like, I am the authorized health officer for uh, whatever, for, for 
Victoria. Um, yeah, you cannot abscond or you'll be fined $20,000 and you must follow <laughs> this and that. And, da, 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 da. and they talk you through the process, but you don't see anybody because all the curtains are still drawn. So all you're doing is sitting there and listening to this announcement. It's like, it's real end of days sort of stuff. Um, but it doesn't stop there. Once you get off the plane and you get into the terminal, imagine you're in a big airport, like Melbourne airport's pretty, pretty wide and spacious. But then all you can hear are these announcements. This is the Australian government. There is a pandemic and a state of emergency in Victoria. You know, you need to keep oh 1.5 meters distance away from everybody. But it's all like monotone, super like serious. <laughs> And you're walking through this airport and all you see is like Australian federal police officers armed to the hilt, like down the, down the corridor. And you're just like, this is, I said to one of them, I was like, this is intimidating. And he's just, he's like, it's not supposed to be. And I was like, I don't know any other, I don't know any other way to describe this, but it is intimidating. There's like, you walk to one, every time you walk to a counter, there's like 20 police officers standing there. You're like, yeah, especially when that's not but, normal too. You've got to be like, oh my God. Yeah, and you don't want to like, you don't want to do anything wrongly. And and at this point, by the way, I should add at this point, we're 20 hours into the process from right. my house to, to the airport, to off the plane, to waiting, still wearing a mask because you're not allowed to take your mask off on the flight. Forgot oh. to tell you about that. So how do you eat? Um, what I did is I actually got all the food and mushed it up in my hands and then slid it under. No, no, I'm kidding. I took my mask off. <laughs> Like, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, then Mama Bird came. Just strain and it through and punch yeah, it, yeah, like yeah. cheesecloth it through your mouth. Mm. Hey, I've never had a juice without that was so clean before. Um, <laughs> yeah, so so you wear your mask the whole time apart from, uh, you know, when you're eating, obviously. But there's heaps of space around you. So, yeah. like, you don't, you're not really too concerned. And in the plane, all the HEPA filters and everything in the air conditioning actually make it a, a safer place to be than, you know, maybe in a terminal or whatever. Mm. Don't take my advice for that, but I read that on the internet somewhere. Um, it's got to be true, then. It's, yeah, definitely true. If it's Thanks, Bill Gates. Were you, were you allowed to, <laughs> were you allowed to bring in, uh, bring baggage on board? Because I've heard that hat carry-ons aren't allowed anymore. Uh, so they checked in uh, one of my carry-ons, but they allowed me to um, take my backpack with me. Okay. So that was that was okay, and I That's put that bad. up in the in the um, hat hat rack. So that was fine. Hmm. Um, I'm going to be asking some weird specific questions like that because part of the reason you're on this show is there will maybe come a point where I have to do this trip and 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 go through what you're going through. Good luck, because I think I had one of the easiest uh, routes or routes for the American listeners um, on the um, We're not that uh, dumb, journey. are we? Oh, my God. I don't know. Sometimes you have to clarify. I, I actually, um, you know what? You're right. Thank you. Look, we all we all we all love a good route. What can you say? That's oh. that's right. And this was one of the easiest um, routes that I've taken. <laughs> well played. Thank you very much. Um, now. This the UAE journey to Australia is super simple because it's just a direct flight. But I've got friends who have taken flights um, from Canada, yeah, Canada to um, someplace in America on the uh, east coast, and then, sorry, on the west coast, and then down into New Zealand. Um, similar process as well. Like basically everything, I think now across all of the airports is solidified. But doing it with just one flight is really easy. I don't know what it's like. Um, 
mm. you know if you're if you're flying lots of different carriers and all that sort of stuff and there's probably different requirements for different airlines but for me um yeah basically i got to keep all that stuff and i probably would have fought them on it as well because it was my backpack full of like my camera equipment my computer my ipad all my lenses all that sort of stuff um so i didn't really want to check any of that in so yeah and then um sorry go on well i guess th this sounds this sounds about what i thought um I mean, Australia took this a lot more seriously, right? You know, in here in the states, they didn't basically enforce anything at a at a national level, and the airports, they're still trying to make money. That seems to be like the number one concern. So it's all about how clean things are, and they just want to dispel fear, but they're not enforcing anything. They're not saying like you're going to get in trouble if you do this or that. They're like, no, look, we're going to wipe it extra. Please, please come. Yeah. Um which is totally different. But I guess question two is, okay, you leave the airport. Uh, I guess you get, do they prearrange the travel? And then where do they take you? So so what happens is you go out, you come out of cu uh, customs and then you, or immigration rather, and they have like a table full of all these people, once again, sitting there with uh, full PPE on and all these papers. And you go through and you're like, it's like being in school and you pick up your paperwork at the beginning of the year or whatever. And there's like all these tables. So you go to them health officers there and they assign you a, a hotel pretty much and they'll give you a bit of paperwork which is um i'll just quickly show you it's called a direction and detention notice and basically it looks like this so it's like a government um legal document which says that you will be detained for 14 days and yeah you can't go anywhere it tells you which hotel you're going to be in which room number you're going to be in and um the date in which you can which you can leave. So once you've done that, you get all that paperwork and then you go and pick up your bags and you go through the um, border protection like normal. Um, and then you just stand around with a whole bunch of police officers and <laughs> they will just good. hold you there until the bus is ready. And then when the bus is ready, you get herded onto this bus. And on the bus, there's no real social distancing. So by the, way, by the time that this whole process is done- You ruin it. Yeah, you're like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> well, now, you know, me and Mary, uh, mm. she's licking my earlobe. It's, it's, where's all the safety gone? Um, but we were kind of, I spaced myself out on this bus. I like went further up the back. Um, For the principle and, of it. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's, it's, it's mad. Anyway, they will put you on the bus and then the federal police escort you to the hotel. And then they yep. escort you in a bus where you're not distanced. Yeah, it's their distance though. They're in um, they're in a car behind, <laughs> I... <laughs> so they're safe. Um, it's it's kind of like well, so I mean, weird. for us, we were fortunate because there was only nine of us going to this hotel on a bus that probably seats about thirty. Um, so the first half of yeah. the bus weren't distanced. They were literally sat behind each other, um, like like basically, you know, licking each other's earlobes. But but then the cool kids went straight to the back and they were getting it done. Exactly. So I just went straight to the back and another guy and another uh, woman, we all sat diagonally to, e to each other and we were fine. But everybody at the front, I don't know, I think maybe they were just so jet lagged or they had no idea or maybe they didn't even care. Um, so anyway, we all got to the hotel and then you get, onto the ho you get to the hotel and all the police are there and all the security are there. So there you've got local police, federal police and the security contractors and the government health officials. This is where it gets scary again because it's like 500 million people there there's more uh, government officials than there was people getting into the hotel 
And then they tell you one after the other, like, you need to stand up. We will grab your bags. They get all your bags. You check into the hotel. You give them all your forms. They do a little health uh, check with you to make sure that you're okay. You tell them what you're allergic to and uh, what your health requirements are and all that sort of stuff. They give you a little care package. Um, we got two of those, by the way. We got one at the airport and then we got one as we walked into the hotel. Um, so what's in that? Uh, that's kind of just like uh, bin bags because you definitely need them um, and snacks. You know, when you get off the plane, actually, it's really quite lovely. I, I should probably make a point of this. When you get off the plane um, and you get, you're waiting to get onto the bus, they give you a little um, package full of like Australian treats and lollies and sweets and stuff, candies. So they give you like Tim Tams and a piece of fruit and a couple of different like yo natural yogurt bars, like all these Australian brands and, and stuff. So it's, that's really, and a juice and a water. And that's, it's really nice to, um, you know, if you haven't been back home for a while, it's really quite nice to get something that's, you know, typically Australian, Tim Tams. Um, and then at the hotel, you get something that's, that's similar again, full of coffee, tea and all that sort of stuff. And um, when you get into the hotel, you're not allowed to touch anything. Um, so the security guards will take all your bags up to your hotel room for you. And then you will um, be escorted into your room. And once they close that door behind you, that's the last time that you'll walk down that corridor for the next 14 days. Um, so no amenities in the whole hotel, like no gym, no outside walk, just your window, no. your bathroom. Does the window even open? No, here in the Metropole, um, I have a solid glass window. So you've had no fresh air in almost two weeks. But here's the thing. So in some hotels, like uh, the hotels in Western Australia, there's absolutely no fresh air at all. None. They will not let you out. For anything but luckily in melbourne we have another government form which is the permission for temporary leave from <laughs> detention and this allows you um recess trying to get rid of the uh, yeah exactly the, this feels like something out of a douglas adams novel it's just and then we get the proposed activity 15 minutes fresh air walk and um i've had one of those and it was literally 15 minutes exactly one and like it was it total was, or a day? Uh, that was to total I've had so far. What's the um, point? Yeah, you can, you can, apparently you can request them um, like a lot. Um, I only requested this one because I was bored <laughs> and I was like, I wanted to see if they'd actually give it to me. Um, and they did. Um, I mean, I'm not really hard up for the fresh air because the, the air quality in this room is really good. I've got a massive hotel room. I'm fine. Um, so I went up for my 15 minutes and I say up. For my 15 minute air break you don't go downstairs and touch the soil or anything i went 10 floors up to stand on a balcony uh in 10 degree weather and bear in mind i came from the uae where it was like 45 degrees <laughs> um, so i went up i'm like in my thermals got my gloves my beanies on and um, i'm standing up there on the 28th floor and I'm looking at the exact same view that I see from my uh, hotel room. Oh <laughs> and I was just God. like, I'm like, well, I can't really stretch my legs because I'm just walking on a balcony, which is, you know, maybe like um, 20 feet long. So, dude, how do they make sure you don't just off yourself while you're up there? Like, couldn't this well, could make somebody go insane? Well, this is OK. So it's a really high up um uh, what do you call it? It's like a really high uh, balcony, like the, the glass thing. So you can't really jump on it. But the funny thing was the guy called me from the health um, office and he was like, 
um, yeah, so if you do abscond, it will be a $20,000 fine. And I was like, well, if I manage to abscond 28 floors above, you can have the 20 grand. You'll have to like scrape it out of my pocket because there's no way anyone can do that. Oh my God. All right. So, so let's just go back. You, you check in, they shut the door behind you. It's like, with all the reverb, you know, you're stuck in there. <laughs> and then how, how are the first few days? How did that go? Uh, to be honest, they went really quickly. Um, I read a lot of it. There's a lot of um, Facebook groups that you can join that will have lots of advice on how to kind of deal with this 14 days. Um, for me, it was really quite easy. The first few days were, were amazing. Um, actually, I thought I'd beat the jet lag. I woke up at the right time in the morning. I went to sleep at the right time at night. I was doing a little bit of exercise. I was getting all my life admin because I haven't lived in Australia in nearly 10 years. Right, so yeah. I had to get a bank account. I had to get the government support. I had to get a phone number. You know, I was, I was, I was really busy doing all those things. I was tidying up some work from you know, my old job. and So I was really, really quite busy. And they, those days went really, really quickly. Um, the rest of the days, I, I kind of just slept through most of them until we are here at day 11. So it's it goes pretty quickly. For me, it goes quickly. I'm really, I can really entertain myself at home uh, or, you know, locked in a room. I'm really good at just watching TV for hours on end. And yeah, so I'm not really too, doesn't really affect me too much. And you get hmm. daily calls from the, from the mental health nurse and all that sort of stuff. They do welfare checks. and So food, they're just delivering it to you or do you have choice? Um, so there is a bit of choice. You can, um, you'll get food delivered to you three times a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And, um, you can also pre-order like a room service sort of a meal, but it's relatively expensive and you have to order it like the day before. So qu um, question is, is though, you said it's relatively expensive, but the three meals a day, are you also paying for those? Uh, no, the uh, tax, the Australian taxpayer is paying for those. This whole thing, by the way, is paid for by the taxpayer. So it's of no cost to me at all. Zero dollars cost to me. See, it's a holiday. <laughs> it's it's almost a holiday. I feel I feel a bit guilty because I haven't worked in Australia in in years, so I haven't paid tax for. I'm taking this from the many years before. You feel um, guilty about taking taxes? Wow, this is like novel material for anybody in on U.S. soil. Amazing. Yeah, well, like, well, I mean, okay, like like, but I haven't worked in Australia for so long, so it's like a. It I feel a little bad about it, but not too bad. The meals are not great, to be honest. Um, they, they're, they've had a, probably, I've had less, uh, sorry, I've had more worse meals than I've had good meals. So you're going to put um, that on Yelp when this is all over? Uh, yeah, ab yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you, you wait, I'm going to write Actually, like a 10 page I'm, review. On I'm literally place. going on right now and I want to know if people are doing mandatory quarantine reviews. Yeah. Do not stay here in a mandatory quarantine. Zero stars. <laughs> It had no choice but to stay here. If you do, don't go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think that. I think if you're a regular hotel oh guest, God. the food would be so much better. I don't know why they're they're not so good. I don't know what's going on. It's like some sort of army kitchen. It feels like that's what it's come out of. But um, I've had some really good meals and I've had some really trash meals. When they get the bad ones, I just order from Uber Eats. Um, you know, luckily oh, for me, that's I've an got... option. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can do that, and you can order alcohol in as well. Um, so they, they sell alcohol here. Um, it's, I don't know, these prices are okay. Um, like $24 for a six pack. Yeah. It's twice as expensive from buying it from a bottle shop, I think. But it's, but it's also, yeah, it's a furfy. So uh, it's a, it's a craft. Uh, um, it's okay. Um, or you can get it on Uber eats and you can order, um, 
you know, like really good beers delivered to your hotel room. The heck so, yeah. But you'd go broke real all, quick. You could, yeah. Um, I don't know about that. I don't have any savings left, but let me tell you, I've had some really good beers. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's an expensive uh, hobby if you want to do that or an expensive thing if you want to do that. But, you know, today I got no breakfast delivered. I don't know what happened there. Um, and the lunch was not great. So I ordered like a crab and egg uh, toast and two coffees because you're in Melbourne. How could you not eat all the cafe food? So, um, yeah, I mean, this whole process is really what you make of it. Some people have had some really terrible experiences. Mine is is pretty good. Like this, I have really no complaints apart from the food. Hmm. I, I was like waiting for this climax, but like I'm ripping my hair out and I have like six hairs left, but you have a full head and you're chilling. So before we jumped on this call, you were getting, you know, a giant Q-tip put up your nose. Um, so how often are you getting tested? What what's the what are the other elements of of the health um, requirements here? Okay, so you have um, you have like two welfare checks that come that they uh, they call up and they'll do like a phone. Mental health nurse will call up and do a welfare check with you. It's pretty intense. The first one and the <clears> second <throat> one is uh, a little bit shorter. What are they asking you? Um, they're just, uh, they are, well, first of all, they ask for you like your medical history, which probably determines the length of the call. And then um, they will ask you, you know, like how are you dealing with, you know, being in isolation? Are you talking to friends mm. and family? Um, you know, do you have any symptoms? That's that we get a daily call, which is, do you have any symptoms? And then is there anything else we can do to make your hotel stay better? Um, or to make your isolation better? And I'm like, well, maybe just end it. <laughs> <laughs> So, but they, the, the welfare checks are pretty um, in depth. Yeah. So they'll ask you about your mental health and, and any questions related to that. Um, and then they also do two COVID tests, which are free of charge as well, um, which might be a novel thing for those who are outside of Australia where healthcare is, um, you know, not free. Um, so they will do two COVID tests for you and uh, you get one on day three and you get one on day 11. Um, and these are obviously the first one is to make sure that, you know, during your stay, you're, you're not, um, uh, contagious. Yeah. Contagious. That's, that's the one I wanted to say something else. And I was like, that's not appropriate. Um, and then the other one is the one on the way out. Um, so that before you go back into the community, you're not, um, obviously going to go and infect other people knowingly or unknowingly. Um, yeah. So I just did mine then, um, basically five minutes before the call, I had a, a giant, um, thing stuck up my nose and my eyes were watering and, and, uh, I was a bit traumatized, but now I'm okay. Yeah. You sound, you sound good. So you're either really good at hiding it or you're just a pro at this point, but, um, well, it's my second one. So <laughs> yeah, right. So I guess, uh, this is, this is very interesting and, um, gosh, I'm sure we could go into the, the details more, but I guess, um, now that you're almost at the tail end of it and you've gone through this experience and you've talked to other people in Facebook groups and you've, you know, you've had access to the outside world uh, communication wise, what are your thoughts on the process? Do you think it's worth it? Do you think it's overkill? Like, how are you feeling about the pandemic situation while still being in the middle of it? Um, well, I think the process the pro obviously there's some kinks that that have been ironed out since it was first implemented and i think it's made the experience a lot better for somebody like me somebody like me who's come about oh, maybe two months after it began um i think it's a really important i think it, well the thing is is that this is very expensive to do this and um 
I think some countries can't afford to do it. Like there's like in Malaysia, they're doing it, but the uh, person who's traveling needs to pay for it, for example. Hmm. Um, Maybe that's also a deterrent, but, I suppose. Yeah, I, I guess so. I've got lots of friends who won't go back because it's going to cost them, you know, X amount of dollars to, to stay. So maybe it's uh, a good policy. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it works. I mean, I think the Australian government might move towards that soon, mm. um, but I think they're still open arms at the moment. But I think the process is good. I think this is really important in order to um, isolate people, make sure that they are actually healthy and they're not going to bring anything in with them uh, into the country. Obviously, it's expensive and I don't know how long that's going to last. But yeah, I think it's actually a really good process. As a product of that process, I actually really don't have any complaints apart from the food. That's my only thing. And even then, it is edible if you if you want to. You're not going to starve. It's just not great. So first world problems. Yeah, it's a it's a massive first world problem. Yeah. So we're really fortunate and really privileged in Australia. And also, I think when you're coming in, you're having all of these thoughts and anxieties around around uh, COVID-19. And this kind of allays those fears. And it means you can go back to your family and back to your friends and not have to worry about accidentally infecting them or, or you know, or even worse, killing somebody because because of that so yeah yeah, that's yeah so that's really wild i mean i'm i'm in a situation where because we don't have any protocol like this i'm actually at the whim of everybody else so even if i follow all the rules and am extremely careful it doesn't mean that anybody else i interact with had to be there's no there's no rules and i mean as a lot of people have seen now we had people very angry protesting all across the entire US because they wanted haircuts and to go to bars and stuff and they're not wearing masks on purpose. And you have no idea because people don't talk about politics here. You don't know you don't know what they think and it's it's like it's such a trip because you're gonna leave there and not have to care and feel like no weight. Mm. And that's yeah that's a trip. That's not something you like that's so much anxiety that's put on like that's put on you. Um, you know, especially if you're somebody who's so responsible, you don't know what anybody else is is doing. I think um, that's what living in the UAE was like. Um, even though there was all these rules and that sort of stuff, you can't really, because the case numbers are so high, you can't really trust anybody to have done the right thing because you, every person you meet, you're not going to ask them, oh, you know, have you had any symptoms lately? Are you coughing? You know, is your temperature above 38 degrees? You know, like you, you can't do that with everybody you meet. So you have to limit yourself and make sure that you are, um, you know, staying, staying away from people. And that's really difficult to do. Um, I will still carry a little bit, a little bit of that anxiety with me when I walk out of this hotel room, because it's, that's been my way of life for the past four months. So it's still going to, still going to be there, but um, I think it'll slowly dissipate because you will, you know, like me personally, I'll have a lot more confidence in, um, you know, the government here. Not that I didn't have any confidence in the government there. It's just in the sense that um, because the case numbers are so low, you know, zero in, mm-hmm. in a lot of places, you can have that confidence that you know that you're not going to get, you know, you're not going to get sick. You still don't know because you just don't know because this is something you can't see. Um, but at least it'll kind of be alleviated a little bit more. Mm. And and it's working. I mean, you look at the numbers in Australia and when there are new cases being reported, it's people in quarantine. So it's working. It's keeping the cases to international travelers and it doesn't leave that hotel. And um, you talk about the investment that the government's had to make into keeping you there. But 
I would argue that that is going to be paid off in dividends by the fact that they're not going to have to worry about it, you know, you infecting a hundred other people and then them infecting another thousand people and then lockdown having to happen again. So, um, you know, I hope this continues for as long as it's a international problem because it's, it's working and you can't argue with those numbers. Yeah. And so, no, I, I mean, the, the business situation too, you know, we're, we're still dealing at least in California with different phases of businesses opening up and not everything on the list has qualified, you know, IE large. Same in Canada. And bars and entertainment stuff is kind of the last hurdle, uh, which we, we talked about at length the last two episodes, but, um, you know, is Australia avoiding that? I mean, are they having shows and and entertainment? Or are they going to get there first? Or yeah, I don't know about that, but I know that um, like gigs and things. I'm, I, I don't think so. Um, I haven't seen anything, and I don't think they will for for quite some time. But their sport is back on. Um, <laughs> I know that they're That's they're a allowing lot of money. up to yeah, and they're and, and especially in Australia as well. It's a, a massive sporting nation. They're allowing up to two thousand. Um, people into a stadium at once um i'd imagine there would be some sort of social distancing in that and then uh, up to 230 or 240 into the private suites in the um in the stadiums as well so at least two and a half thousand ticketed members into a stadium i I don't know if i agree with it but i guess it's easy to socially distance that amount of people in such a large stadium right yeah yeah so yeah, I, I don't know. Like, there's just something that doesn't sit right with this. But I understand that you know the transmission rate is so low, and but I'm not a health official. I can't really. Have well, a it gives you it gives it, you but. sporting content to put on TV too, which is largely watched and has plenty mm-hmm. of advertisements. And then business keeps going, and you know, yeah, right now no NBA, no NFL, no hockey. Uh, F1 racing is doing esports competitions to try and keep things moving, which. I actually think it's very cool and it's an evolution that I, I appreciate, but it's, it's putting duct tape on a sinking boat. Um, yeah, so no, exactly. we're in a totally different situation because we've treated it totally differently, but you know, there's a lot of factors, population spread before anything happened. I mean, we could go on to this forever, but it is very cool to hear your experience from a country that is by and large doing exceedingly well in the global situation with COVID. Um, it's really cool, man. I really appreciate you coming on, talk to us and sharing all the, the details and hopefully not going more mad talking about it with us, but. No, not at all. It's like a therapy of sorts. <laughs> I do have to ask before we go, you know, what is, what's the thing you're most looking forward to when you get out of that hotel? Well, the first, the first one is, um, I can't wait to just feel the cold air, um, for just longer (laughs) than 15 minutes. That's going to be lovely. I hate the cold, but I'm going to love it now because I I'm free, you know, it's like freedom. Um, but the, the main thing that I'm really looking forward to is, uh, just getting out into the bush and into the, into nature and being able to go camping and go hiking and all those sort of things. They're the, they're the things I really love doing and enjoy doing. And, um, yeah, I just can't wait to do that because I haven't been outside of my house, uh, a plane and this hotel room for the past like four months. So I'm so keen to to just get out into nature and, and you know, just go and sleep under the stars somewhere. That's amazing. 
Well, make sure and turn on Shawshank Redemption like right before they let you out. So then you're just high on that energy and you can just run outside, like rip your shirt off. I pictured I pictured that exact same image of him with the with the rain. And I pictured the same thing. <laughs> That's exactly what it's going to be like. I've actually got a friend <laughs> to throw a bucket of water from the car park Perfect. above. It's just wait for it. Well, when you come out, you got to start racking up TikTok views as fast as possible. So apparently, all right, man. Well, I, I really appreciate it. that. Was that was awesome? Thanks for explaining that. And um, best of luck your last few days. And and uh, have a great time hanging with your friends and family again. I will do. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for being here, and we'll, uh, we'll see you next time when we'll be joined by uh, musician LPX, who'll be talking about the impact of the coronavirus on touring and her record label. So uh, we'll see you then.